Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to the SNS Album Listening Club, the only podcast devoted to music on the internet. I'm your host, Polly, and with me again are my fabulous trio of co hosts. Say hello, Taylor. Hello. Say hello, Boner. <coughs> and say hello, the least important member of our troupe, Byron Halcher. Excuse me. Good job. You and Boner are the same person. We did kind of get that across last it's episode. It's one of those yes. uh, two-headed ogre kind of situations. Uh, actually. We argue about which one farted. Hmm. It was him. So it's like this shared colon going on. Like, who actually feels the poops coming out? No, it's uh, it's like two colons, one butthole. Oh, God. <laughs> Man. It's, it's, it's kind of like... <laughs> It's like if you if you've got to take like a righteous steaming dump, but the other has to take a righteous steaming dump too. It's kind of like who gets to use the exit? Race condition. Oh, rock paper scissors. <laughs> so uh, if you listen to the last episode, you know what we do here. We talk about poop, um, but we also have roundtable discussions about music we listen to, and usually one of us will suggest the album. This. Uh, this episode, uh, the album we listened to was suggested by Taylor, and uh, I'm just going to be uh, a good little Polly and turn this episode on over to her. Hello, party people. Party so, over here. Oh. <laughs> so the album that I subjected my fine guests to this stretch of time was Halcyon Digest by Deer Hunter. And let's, uh, I want to clear up something. Me and Rhett talk an awful lot on the Sox cast about the Deer Hunter, which is a totally different band. Yeah, I that was pretty confusing for me, too. Yeah, they're D-E-A-R Hunter, and they're different, and they got a really great new album out. Go listen a to it. A lot different. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Inc- inc- incidentally... Deer Hunter, D-E-E-R Hunter, one word, also has a new album out that's pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah, I actually picked that up uh, this past week. So, just to add to the confusion. Yeah. I'm going to come out with a band called Dire Hunter and hope <laughs> that just enough people get confused to accidentally buy our album. <laughs> kind of like Soul Calibur and Soul Fighter. Mm. I'd be into Dower Hunter. That'd be, that'd be I think, my jam. I'll call my band. Scream a butthole, and then nobody will get confused because that sounds nothing like Deer Hunter. What about all. screaming trees, screaming pussy rocket. Ah, uh, doesn't so, have that indie twang. <laughs> <laughs> so those lucky souls who haven't visited Pitchfork.com in the past five years might be curious as to who Deer Hunter is, and they are an Atlanta, Georgia dream pop act that has been going on for a. About 14 years at this point. They have a bunch of albums under their title, and the one I've selected is Halcyon Digest, which was the one that got me interested in this band when it came out five years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just curious, uh, what did everybody think of this record in a nutshell before we dive into the nitty-gritty of going song by song? Mm, I'll jump in. Um, I will say, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll... Start by giving it my initial impressions of it, uh, rather than my full summarized opinion, which I'll save that for the end, because I think, you know, that's fun. 
and I can totally blast you for your tastes at the end of the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my first listen to this was, wow, this is kind of eclectic because I've never, I'd never actually listened to Deer Hunter before, so this is my first um, foray uh, into their catalog and. Um, you know, since I went out and bought their new record, there obviously is something there for me. Um, the album gets off uh, to a really cool start with the earthquake, and um, that Im- immediately drew me in. And then, like the things that follow it up, are just like, wait a minute, why doesn't it sound like like that one? Why didn't it sound <laughs> like the? I like, I like that one. Uh, and I'll elaborate more on that as we go down the track by track. But that was sort of my initial thoughts on it. Were like, oh, this is a little little uneven uh in terms of uh audio theming i guess but uh i can roll with it for now um i'll do the opposite of polly and i will give my overall impression of it rather than my initial you contrarian piece of shit uh you know contra is my deal um (laughs) so a couple years back um when I used Last FM as a service, I had two channels in heavy rotation. One of them was based on Slayer. Um, if you've never heard of Last FM, it, it was kind of like a not as popular Pandora ripoff. Um, and the other one was based off of a Swedish pop group called The Legends, um, which are categorized by like really dreamy, airy production. Like they over mic um, a lot. Uh, so the vocal quality just has that really airy kind of muddled, I Distant guess, production. kind of sound. Yeah, and so the, the type of bands that I would, you know, listen to when I had um, this kind of thing on in rotation, like uh, Love Ninjas, I think, was another one. Um, yeah, just these really, like... I hate to use this term shoegaze, because a lot of this stuff, and the stuff on this album, too, is a little bit poppier than what I think of when the word shoegaze is evoked, which mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's a real genre so much as like a description of the clowns making this kind of music, <laughs> but um, pedal boards the size of ping pong tables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but many times when listening to uh, Halcyon Digest, uh, the legends cropped up in my psyche, and a couple other bands, which uh, we'll make reference to as we delve into the songs proper. Nice. Uh, I fucking loved it. Uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really great. Um, the production, that kind of like lo-fi production value. Uh, some of the I was like I was looking it up into the the album's history. Some of the albums were like uh, the songs were literally recorded on like four-track tape recorders, uh, which is really great. Nice. Yeah, um, I love that about this album. It it has a raw feeling to it that is very very genuine. It's not a, like processed, you know to sound like it was acoustically recorded or recorded in a live setting. Like this album was really created the way that it sounds and it sounds this way for a very specific reason. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Uh, and I thought the, the whole thing was great. I had listened to deer hunter kind of in the sidelines or like, uh, kind of when it had come up in, in different radio stations and things like this. But, uh, this album listening club definitely got me into deer hunter in like a major way now. So I guess it's my turn, and I guess I'll talk about my experience with Deer Hunter before I get into what I think of this album in a broad sense. Uh, so circa 2010, I was at a concert with my dad and my little brother, and it was a co-headliner with Porcupine Tree and Coheed and Cambria. Ah, good company. Oh, quite. 
So the opening band was called The Deer Hunter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when I heard about an album called Halcyon Digest that was getting all kinds of acclaim and universally good press by a band called Deer Hunter, I picked it up and like, this sounds nothing like that band I just saw a few months ago. <laughs> it had but nothing I like to it. do with that movie either, did it? Yeah. <laughs> so I picked it up, and I'm like, okay, this is pretty good too. Um, it was kind of it kind of play it really played into my sensibilities at the time and to this day with regards to the kinds of music that I like. And overall, yeah, I really like just sort of the really bare bones kind of approach that deer hunter took to this record and just how kind of like isolated and raw and vulnerable that every single instrument sounds on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like everything about this album is crying for its death in a way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that in a good way. It's just like, this is a very, melancholy album you know what you're getting into you know right as soon as it kicks off and you know (laughs) i guess it's also worth bringing up that with the exception of track six and track nine they're all written by lead by lead vocalist and guitar player bradford bradford j cox Uh and he uh, writes his lyrics basically stream of conscience right before they record. Yeah. So everything you're hearing on this record huh. in terms of the words were uh, jotted down on a piece of notebook paper right before they stuck a microphone in front of his face. It's hmm. just as well when I can tell what the words are anyway due to how muddy the production is. Except for track six and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a uh, lead okay, guitar. Interesting. Yeah, six and nine are lead guitar player and guest vocalist Locket Punt, who also what a name, by the way, <laughs> Locket Punt. I like that. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. Uh, or or that that those two tracks specifically. Yeah, yeah. He also records music under the name Lotus Plaza, and it's similar to Deer Hunter, but different enough to make it worth a listen if you ever get the chance. Right, right. So, uh, without further ado, I guess we jump into Earthquake, track number one. Uh... Probably the least aptly (laughs) named uh, track. Because when I think Earthquake, I think like really airy... um... (laughs) Minimalist, uh, radio heady uh, (laughs) synth light guitar <laughs> so so this so actually this didn't remind me of radiohead so much as it right off the bat okay there's the plinky synth beat the really loud distorted hit i'm almost thinking nine inch nails at this point like the hits um at the beginning yeah, of mr yeah, self-destruct sure. which are actually sampled from a movie um thx 1138 but yeah i only know that because i'm a nerd but when the song starts improper, it actually reminded me of a um, a Danish prog rock band by the name of The Gathering. Um, kind of a doom metal thing, but they also have some of those airier tracks. Um, 
female vocalist in Eck Van Giersberg, and I actually uh, recommend giving them a listen. Um, it's got that weird thing, like when the song starts improper, like some of the drum samples sound like they're, it's like a snare or uh, being played in reverse. Yeah. And um, it, you know, it just layers on more dreamy, airy. Like it's, it starts off kind of with a regular guitar, but then it just layers on more sampled uh, and distorted sounding stuff as it goes. Yeah, my fr- my first uh, uh, thoughts when I heard this this track was, wait, did Radiohead accidentally get good again? <laughs> um, I, I really like this track. It kind of like it, it, it's a track that follows uh, a very very simple structure, and it drives and drives going in one direction for you know the duration of its you know just over five ish minutes, I think it was, and. Um, I like the way that it keeps building and building on itself uh, and just kind of like swirling around. It sounds fantastic in the headphones. And I think that just as an opener, I was immediately, immediately impressed. But I don't think that it sets the tone for the album. Um, I think that like what we start with and where we end up next is is um, uh, entirely different, as you know, people will no doubt hear when we start throwing in uh, samples from track two and going forward. So I like, I really love the shit out of Earthquake. Um, um, one of my favorite tracks on the record. Byron, I I thought it was really funny because I I thought it it set a great tone for the album actually. Um, like the the mix of like the slow drum machine beat with the 12 string, like reverberating like acoustic. Um, and then like the distorted vocals, I thought it really pointed to like the, the like eclectic mix that was going to come, uh, on, on the future stuff. Everything's definitely got like a dark poppy vibe. Um, but I think it, uh, he was really trying to, to show off that there were going to be different, uh, influences i guess uh, on the music uh, as a whole so so i thought i thought that was pretty cool um uh though though i do agree like it's definitely disseparate from uh like the ne- don't cry which it, which has like a very very unique sound to itself so it's interesting that you say that's a 12 string um because i was trying to figure out what that was when i listened um right before recording and um, that that really like twisted, distorted, pitch shifted um, kind of sample that's layered on, you know, later on in the verse. I had assumed it was a mandolin that somebody was like strumming really vigorously. Yeah, de- definitely something like double stringed. I thought was the mm-hmm. was was my thought. It's probably just a really cheap chorus pedal that they sell at Guitar Center for fifty bucks. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's just like with you know the dealing with the lo-fi way this album was produced. That would not surprise me in the least. <laughs> and just uh, because I'm even bigger of a nerd, I'm sort of familiar with how these guys have all of their gear set up for their live show and it wouldn't surprise me if that was actually what that sound generator was. Right. (laughs) My opinion of Earthquake sort of looking back is that this feels like a sort of ballad track that other bands would put in the middle of the track list. Definitely. because it has it has the elements that sort of tie this record together, which is the distant, really echoey and indistinct vocals with that plinky, almost like direct to the board kind of guitar sound and just weird random synthesizers and ambiance thrown in there. Yeah. 
but it it plays it at a much slower tempo than much of this record does. Yeah, I think this is like aside from maybe one or two of the acoustic numbers, I think this is probably the slowest the album is and you don't really find like a lot of albums get sequenced with their slowest stuff up front. But it is it is certainly distinct and whatever you were expecting of this band that if you hadn't heard of them before it, it sort of like punches you in the face with what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms of the melancholia and the yeah. fuzzy kind of indistinct sounds of everything. Yeah, just the way everything comes together, it's kind of like a soupy, just kind of like not really murky because it's still very bright. Like it's a lot of bright tones. Um but it's still kind of like really dense and you like, you know, you get a really good dose of that. If you listen to it with headphones, uh, I especially love how this track sounds with headphones. Oh yeah. This is, if ever there was a headphone album, this is it in my Gonna opinion. Agree. <laughs> Gonna agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I listened to it five times and never once did I use headphones. So maybe had I done so, I probably would have enjoyed the production a little bit more. Because um, and I don't have a good sound setup in my house, so it and everything kind of felt muddy to me. So um, I don't know. Maybe yeah, on a future listen, I'll have to throw the you know skull chokers on. Yeah, I find that I ended up listening to this in my car a lot over the course of this particular run of the album listening cast, but it doesn't really do it justice. No, I I didn't like how it sounded uh, in my car at all. It also doesn't help that my car's audio setup is just a piece of crap, but I don't <laughs> want to spend the money making that any better. Yeah, it's like I'm going to drive maybe 20 minutes a day. It's not worth me putting $1,000 into this sound system. Nah, Doug, you got to get some Rockford Fosgates with the woofer. And... <laughs> I don't know where I, I would that's... put a subwoofer in my truck. <laughs> I never imagined Taylor as a truck person. I'm I'm going to be honest. I don't know if Deer Hunter is like the band that it's like, yeah, I'm going to throw some subs in the back of my car so yeah. I can listen to some Deer Hunter at Time the Time to the jam the fuck out to some Deer Hunter. Tailgating some Deer Hunter. Fuck <laughs> yeah, bro. Um, you, you joke, but the bass guitar work on this record is actually fairly interesting. <laughs> and pretty distinct as well in the mix. One last thing I wanted to get in about Earthquake. Uh, I know you guys didn't uh, dig on the name, but one thing it reminded me of, uh, I, I was struggling to remember this uh, up until a couple seconds ago, but it reminded me of a Beck song uh, called Earthquake Weather. Yes. Uh, actually. I, uh, I get that. I get that feeling too. Um, they, they have so, this. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know the, I don't know what either of those really have to do with earthquakes, uh, yeah. <laughs> but for some reason people keep writing kind of chill, uh, songs about earthquakes. Um, so maybe there's something there. That's, that's deep. Yeah. I mean, an earthquake lasts for about 10 seconds and then everything goes quiet. So you get that 808 kick right at the beginning and then the earthquake is over and you're just left with sort of the dusty aftermath. Love it. <laughs> Dude, I'm so high right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that this track, since a f 
more than one of you mentioned Radiohead does sort of remind me of No Surprises off of OK Computer. Yeah, yeah, they both have a very similar density to them uh, and a similar lo-fi sound. Although No Surprises is sort of more conventionally placed at the just yeah. after the halfway point of a record and not... It's more conventionally poppy as well. <laughs> yeah. conventionally poppy we have the second track don't cry and what did you guys think of this one my first thought my first thought was hey is this travis (laughs) and i don't mean that in any kind of like uh disparaging way i actually like travis um this kind of reminded me of their song peace the fuck out uh in a way Uh, i think that it that as well uh the album from which that song comes had some very similar uh production qualities and I noticed that just like a lot, like when this album picks up into being more of like a traditional noise pop kind of album, it, it has a lot of various, like, like I am reminded a lot of Travis for some reason. And uh, I, I didn't think this song was that bad. I you know, again, the production goes a long way towards making it really cool. It's got, it's really sing-alongable. I like that. Um, yeah. Not a skipper in any way. I really like this track. This is where I first uh, made the comparison to the legends in my mind, but like with the like <clears throat> weird almost sixties um, songwriting uh, lyricism, like "Hey little boy," which <laughs> now that you say that the dude writes his lyrics right before recording, and they probably don't make a ton of sense. Um, that's kind of reversed the thought I had that it's like, is this supposed to be kind of like a senator, sen- senator? Sinister, uh, like, creeper song. <laughs> like, he's, he's singing to some little boy. Hey, little yeah. boy. Why don't you come inside my van? I've got Nintendo in here. Basement. But I think that is more or less the case, uh, as far as I can tell from this album. Nonetheless. It's, it's, uh, uh, you know, the only way this song could have, like, sounded more 60s if they would have, uh, just mixed, uh, the drums all to one, uh, channel. That would have just been, like, yep, this is a 60s song. (laughs) It was definitely, I I love the, like, beach chill doo wop vibe, um, of the whole thing. And yeah, there's, there's definitely something in there with, like, talking to a boy and then talking about the mom, something about, like, yeah, so there, there's something there. It kind of sounded like the beginning of like a musical, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the first major song with all of the cast and like 
the dad is talking to the young anyways uh i'm gonna drop that line um but <laughs> um but what i what i i really love the the nice touch at the end of that um of the end of the song was like they they faded out uh the track to just the drums for a measure yeah uh, and they just had like the drum riff going and then uh then cut away to like the guitar slow strumming uh outro that persisted for a while um, but I thought that was such a nice touch to like cut to specifically the drums uh, rather than like most a lot of pop tracking would drop the drums out or uh, just fade out entirely, which would yeah. piss me off to no end. Yeah, I can't um, stand fade outs in music. They'll ruin songs for me entirely, which which is a recurring theme. Uh, he definitely uh, shies away. The, the deer hunter definitely shies away from conventional like fade outs in in songs between their different tracks uh that comes up again well uh, i can think of one exactly that kind of stuck in my craw but we'll get to that oh we'll yeah, get to that okay, i think me and okay. boner i think me and boner have got the same boner to pick with that one okay i'm gonna yeah i love it yeah um this track i do like this track it's got sort of a twisty a twisted catchiness about it yeah you know it almost reminds you of the period of the Beatles right before they started co-opting traditional Indian music and smoking a lot of marijuana. (laughs) Right before, yeah. Right before it, so you can kind of hear them getting a little bit weird in their pop sensibilities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in terms of the lyrics, this almost... uh, Like, sound-wise, it kind of reminds me of, like, early The Cure or Cocteau Twins kind of stuff, but in terms of how the lyrics written and how they mesh with what's going on, it almost reminds me of Ramones in a way, because it's got this sort of manic happiness or this sheen of like a major key uplifting tone, but Mm -hmm. the lyrics themselves are kind of really weird and really sinister in a very underlying way <laughs> I, I could see that with a um, punk beat and guitar pulse to it being a Ramon song yeah. this this is definitely uh, a poppy track uh, I mean especially just compared to like the first earthquake track um, they're, they're kind of the album I think is split between kind of very like hollow sounding uh minimalist tracks and then more like poppy 60s style ones um so this is like the first of the poppy ones uh in the album but i i kind of think it's almost the weakest uh it it, out of out of the out of them compared to to some of the later ones that i think really hit the um i I think you have an apt comparison with the beatles um but I, i think later later they really nailed that like the tone of that kind of like beach rock the the placement of it probably serves it better though you say it's the weakest but i mean there's there's other tracks that i think on here are pretty weak but that one coming like right after something that starts off as really airy and dreamy and kind of avant-garde and it's like here's this pop shit it's like whoa okay snap back yeah <laughs> i think they're they're both kind of intros to like the two halves earthquake is definitely more more of that like minimalist style and then don't cry is, is more for the like rock poppy um style that we'll see again kind of i think more in like uh, a helicopter and coronado and stuff I'm sure, I'm sure. And oh, I want you- 
brings us to track number three, which was yeah. actually the first of two singles released off this record, Revival. I don't have that much to say about this one. I mean, it kind of sounded like a spacier blur hmm. is, is about the best uh, description I could come up with. Um, I don't think it's a bad song. It's a song that it's one of those songs that yeah, you get on an album every now and then that it's kind of like it comes in, it does its thing, and then it just gets out. Uh, it's like a, it's literally like it's barely over two minutes, isn't it? A lot yeah. of these songs are really yeah. short. It, it's really short, and like the thing is, it has this really like great breakdown in the middle, and I was just really hoping that like they could jam on that for like another minute or so, and it just kind of like. They never quite get there, and the song just kind of gets there, does a little breakdown, you have your chorus again, and then you're done. Um, I, you know, it, it, it's a good song. It does what it's supposed to do, I think. Um, I just wish that it had a little more there uh, for the ears to uh, snack around on. Yeah, I think it definitely, it, 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 it's definitely like uh, one of those more poppy songs on the album. Uh, and I, I think it's like stronger in that regard than, than Don't Cry. Um, I mean, they, there's, there's a lot in there on religious themes, um, revival, like kind of, you know, the, the lyrics are talking about like, you know, talking with God and then people not believing you. And then, uh, you know, later on in the song, it's all about like warding off darkness and, you know, the dark hallways is coming up again. Like a Dio um, song. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it reminded me, uh, uh. In the first, the I mean, the last um, thing revival. I mean that that obviously I, I think is meant to sound like the like tent revival, uh, Christian groups, um, which was like a major part of the first season of True Detective, um, which is kind of the, the most the most recent time I, I had thought about that. Um, so so I was definitely thinking about that or like the um, the like Jesus Camp uh, documentary. That that's kind of the like the setting that I kind of pictured that this song is, was meant to be written about. Yeah. I don't think, I think this is an okay track. I just kind of forget about it because it's so short and insubstantial in my opinion. Ouch. <laughs> damning praise. Yeah. <laughs> Quite damning. I mean, like I honestly had my iTunes running in the background to even remember what this track sounded like. Ouch. <laughs> well, it, it it's definitely the most like guster sounding out of the the whole album. Uh, that's that's kind of what I thought it it sounded. There, the most there's like. a band I haven't there heard of in years. There you go, Guster Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but that's that's what it, I'm telling you. Listen to it and then uh, go listen to to Guster and, and tell me I'm wrong. I, I mean, I can already hear it in my head, and I know you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Make you feel only out here. You learn to accept whatever you can
done nothing wrong You can't take too long Making up songs Which brings us steadily along to track number four, Sailing. What do you guys think of this one? This kind of slow song? Boy, for a track that is five minutes long, it spends all that time going absolutely nowhere. <laughs> um, I think it's funny you guys, uh, y'all called Revival forgettable, because Sailing is definitely uh, the track that, uh, that that I don't even... I barely even remember being on the album. It's just like I played one note and then I hummed a little bit and I played another note and then I hummed some more. It's like, oh my god, please it, this, get the up. songs. <laughs> this song sounds like an open mic night. Yes, oh. <laughs> oh, I was just about to say that. I got down in my notes. Oh man, oh man, you, you, you hit it right there. Yeah, it's this track did nothing for me at all. It's not I'm not going to say it's not terrible because I just I straight up don't like it. So, I try to be I'm it's like I'm trying I'm torn between just trying to be nice, but it's just like no, this song's just plodding and boring and spends way too long going nowhere at all. Yeah, this is the one song that I honestly think should have just been omitted from the album. Yeah. This this Cause... already short album. Yeah. <laughs> I... Well, yeah. Oh, after you. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the length of this album overall, Deer Hunter sort of fancies themselves as like an art punk band. So by punk rock standards, this isn't that short of an album. This is actually kind of a long yeah, album. This, this is a 46 minute album. Yeah, and... I, I think like um, Misfits, um, Static Age is like 20 minutes long. That would be Earth AD, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a live at CBGB album from DRI that blasts through 40 songs in the span of about 30 minutes. Holy <laughs> Christ! Uh, 80s punk rock was an interesting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had uh, played in uh, a band at one point called Ending 230, and it was just like, that was just, we were making fun of the length of punk music. That's, uh, that's like twice as long as a bad religion song. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was in a band called King Fossil that did a cover of mm. the Descendants song All. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone will get that, but the right people will get it. <laughs> I, I should probably throw in a clip. <laughs> it wouldn't take too long. No, it wouldn't. It would just be like, there you go. <laughs> So, so um I, I definitely think that this this song is the the most boring track, which is why we spent most of most of our time not talking about the song. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. about. It. But it's well, I think the one thing is is it's literally a joke of a song. Uh and the punchline is at the beginning of the next track. Um and, and that's like the entire point of it, I think. I think of it kind of as like a like the weird tracks on Tool albums uh, where everything's just like kind of crazy for, for seven minutes and you don't know why the hell they did that. 
Well, um, I'm going to be the odd duck and say that I didn't think it was that bad. Hmm. Fired. You're fired. Get out of here. Can't uh, what, fire me. What, I quit. What? What? Uh, what grabbed you about the track particularly? Well, well okay. So, um, the song is called "Sailing," mm-hmm. and I guess if it's supposed to ev- evoke like this lazy, like sitting on the dock of the bay, but by way of lazy, like minimalist British guitar pop. And I say British, and then like when I was thinking about that, I remembered. Oh wait, this band's from Atlanta, but. Yeah. Going back to the Radiohead comparisons, um, you know, at, at all the time, every time I'd listen to this, I was like, this reminds me of Radiohead. I can't figure it out. And I finally went back and looked at the track list for Amnesiac, and I think it's it really reminds me of You and Who's Army. <laughs> yeah, I can I can kind of see that, yeah. But but even You and Who's Army still has a buildup uh, that goes somewhere by the time that track is over. Yeah, but... So coming off of two middling songs after one really, okay, this might be interesting song. Um, this, this, you know, it, it, where, where it is on the album, I, I guess they could do worse. Um, I kind of like the way the, like the guitar sound, um, sounds like, you know, a guitar in a bathtub sort of <laughs> <laughs> because, be, because yeah, I, I say it's minimal, but it's also more distinct because, Part of my bone to pick with this album overall is just kind of how muddy the production is. Um, again, uh, I didn't listen to it with headphones like uh, you guys recommended, so that opinion might change. But yeah, even though I've been down on the album to this point, I didn't think this track was that bad. Hmm. Come at me. <laughs> no, no. We respect and welcome all differing <laughs> opinions. Inclusive. That is unless you think the weirdness was the best Stooges record, in which case I'm about to prep the fire. Ooh. (laughs) We should... That's a... I I like when they poke each other in the eyes and whack each other on the head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't really know the Stooges. Oh, boy. (laughs) You're going to have to wait till uh, your turn comes back around, Taylor. Oh man, I wouldn't subject you guys to that album. That album is uh, uh, uh. that album is the last Airbender of music. That show was pretty good. What are you talking about? (laughs) We all know what I'm talking about. on from terrible movies and music we get to memory boy an even shorter track that sort of singles that sort of signals where i think this album really starts to come out swinging which is also the second single that was released from this record anyway what did you guys think 
So the the first line of this track uh, is, did you stick with me? Um, <laughs> and I think, and that's what I was talking about when I'm talking about the punchline, is like, I literally think he goes into the song knowing that that last track was like this boring open mic piece of crap. Uh, I think you're giving the dude too uh, much credit. No, I'm, I'm telling you. I think he just knew that he improved uh, a stinker there on track number four, and then he improved up uh, a meta reference for the first line of track number five. Um, and that's what, and that's why I, I love it. That's okay, when I be- was totally sold on the album. To be clear, the lyrics are stream of conscience. The music is not. Yeah, and those were some stinker lyrics uh, on Salem. Yes, they were. Yeah, they kind of were. Again, I can never parse what the, what the words mean for most of the tracks on this album. I mean, I actually own this physical CD, and they do reprint most of the lyrics, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, I really like this track. Uh, I, I really love how just the open, like, like just the overly bright melody and chords and everything. I like how they contrast with like these very sullen lyrics that, you know, they're pretty on the nose about what they're about. Um, and I just really love the refrain of, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a home anymore, or I can't remember. It's, it's not a house, house anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah. I really love that refrain. Um, uh, it just drew me in. It's just this really solid, you know, again, this solid two-minute piece of work that gets in, does its thing, and gets out. But I think I connected with it just a little more just because I really enjoyed uh, the lyrical theme and just, like, the vocal phrasing and uh, just, a, just a slam dunk little track, I think. Every time I've listened to this, um, that... I keep thinking it's a bagpipe in that, and then when you know you get to the end, it's like a lot cleaner, and there's no other voices on the track. It's so like, oh wait, it's really a harmonica, yeah. and it's like I can't tell if it's the production that's making that effect or if they've just you know distorted it like they did with um, back to track one, that twelve string that they just like twisted into something almost unrecognizable. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, the the poppiness, and I do enjoy the poppiness on this one more so than um, Don't Cry. Uh, it, I want to say it reminds me of the Shins, um, which is a band that had like a lot cleaner production, but a band that was also like lyrically kind of obtuse at times. But they were, you know, clever about it, not like just I don't know obscure or whatever. I, I like the way this word sounds when I sing it, so that right. would be what that would be the word I put here. And I don't have a problem with that kind of lyricism either. I, I like a lot of lyricists who are very much more attracted to the sound of words than they are. Oh, I bet you love Jets to Brazil. <laughs> Stop spoiling the next album I'm going to use for this. <laughs> what do you think, you have... Byron? I so I. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was a great like pick me up kind of after after the lull that was sailing. Um, you, you you mentioned the shins boner, but uh, I thought it reminded me of a lot of the pains of being pure at heart, who are mm. kind of another like poppy, uh, similar band, uh, kind of going going for that like uh, '80s like British pop rock feel. Um, nope. So I I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was kind of just like a good pop song with some with some good riffs. Um, but like it, it didn't, 
it didn't uh not nothing in particular about it i guess really really uh really jumps out at me uh it's a good one it's it's not one of the bad songs in the album but it's not really one of the good songs of the album it's probably like right in the middle there for me and it's right in the middle of the album so it's perfect <laughs> oh the pains of being pure at heart there's a band who squanders their great <laughs> potential that third album was garbage <laughs> They were they were really great in two thousand nine though. That was uh that was that was they were great like it was a great summer album, uh their their self titled one. Um, I, I I like the self titled one and I think Belong is even better. But that next one after that, oh my god! No, I, it wasn't. It was what was that called uh, Days of something? Anyways, yeah, yeah. Enough enough about that. The Pains of Pure Hearts third album. <laughs> the less said, the better. Anyway, Memory Boy. Um, this almost reminds me of like, in terms of like the song, in terms of like the lyricism, like the wimpier moments of like the Clash on London Calling or something like that. Or the the Gun Club. They have a similar lyrical theme. Uh, this house is not a home. That's that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I like. I actually really like this one. It's I would say it's one of my favorites off of it, off of this album, just because it's, I don't know, simple and straightforward. Yeah, it's without, just it's just an with, in and out song that does it so well. I think without being as like forgettable as Revival is, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it but, does yeah. it in and out. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I, this would sharpen us up and get us ready for a bit of the old ultra-violent. References. <laughs> nice. Our show will have references or it will be bullshit. Yeah, that's the only way you can actually... You're, you, in, in order to post anything on the internet, you actually have to have at least three references to something. So. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> Chaka when the walls fell. <laughs> this is a pretty obscure Star Trek reference and I am impressed. <laughs>
Anyway, that brings us to the first of two songs not written by Bradford Cox, Desire Lines, and a pretty cool little song, if you ask me. But what do you guys think? Don't everybody go at once. <laughs> I thought my Skype died for a second. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go then. Um... To say we're gonna play rock paper scissors for I think, it. <laughs> Sorry. I think that this would have been a really good three minute ten second song, um, <laughs> and I really like the guitar solo as it you know as it leaves the main song and goes into this very extended monotonous goes nowhere at all outro. Because it like at like the three minute thirty second mark, this this song goes into this groove, and it's just like okay, this song's doing this thing. And it's still going in this direction. Yeah, it's got this. It's got this climbing scale, and I'm like, "Hey, this this scale is pretty cool." Yeah. And then it comes back down, and it kind of middles nowhere for a bit, and it's like, "Okay, it's at scale again, sure." And then, and it's like, and all then, right, you've worn out. You're welcome. You, you're then, still going. <laughs> and then, and then this song has the fucking audacity to fade out by just doing this monotone. Dun, 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 dun. It's just, <laughs> Get out of here! This they just ruined the song for me. That'll do, pig. It was definitely That'll the do. the shoegaziest out of all of the tracks um, on the album. I I totally would have enjoyed like the radio edit, yeah, uh, version of this without the outro. But like maybe maybe that was like part of it. It like like you point out like the fade out. Um, this is an album that like definitely consciously chooses to avoid the fade out. Um, so, like, maybe... I don't don't know. you this dare is try... the radio edit version. Don't, don't you I dare mean, like, try... I the original... <laughs> don't you dare try and paint this as some kind of form of artistic expression, you pretentious... I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna you, believe. You I'm pretentious cunt! That's what this is, though. This is, like, That's... probably the most pretentious... No. One of the more, more pretentious songs in the, the no. album. No, no, it's just, no. it's just, it's just drivel after thirty, uh, three minutes and thirty seconds. Wow. I think what would have improved the song dramatically, though, would have been a female vocalist. Uh, actually, I thought it was a really good song, but if it had like uh, some like '90s chick rock uh, singer, I thought that would have been like really great on it. Zombie, zombie, zombie. <laughs> And I said, hey, What Byron is saying is that this song would be better if it was written by My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, <laughs> this song would be better if it was omitted from the track list. Oh. <laughs> Coming out swinging. I'm I sorry, th- I just don't think the guy wrote a good song at all. It's just, yeah. it's not very good. I think this song is the most obviously not written by the main songwriter song off of this entire album. It stands out so much. And while I I don't detest the fade out as much as some of my compatriots do, (laughs) it, it sort of reminds me of being really intoxicated at a concert somehow and the band just decides to jam on the last riff for the last three minutes. Yeah. I can kind of see that. <laughs> or, or it's a fade out like the um, the the audio engineer like passed out drunk <laughs> on on the master slider, and, and his then, hand like, just kind of as his it. arm like slid off <laughs> the mixer as he fell to the floor. Yeah, because this isn't a short. Down. It's not a short fade out. It's actually a pretty long fade out. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's it 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 has to be. Oh, I, I think the fade you, out don't, does don't. Don't you dare. It leads you're into gonna, it. You're 
Oh, that track seven. That track seven. Fuck off! I'm telling you. Uh, 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 yeah, it's almost like the engineer was programming automation, and yeah. there was more after that last part, but he just got bored and fell asleep while yeah. he was pulling it down. Yep. So, mixed opinions on that one, clearly, but <laughs> we move on to Basement Scene. Which Love I it! I consider it to be sort of like the better version of Sailing. Uh, absolutely. I think this song's really great. I loved absolutely everything about it. The structure, the sound, uh, just like the the, the, the way the, the, the vocals are reverberated in this track is a, a bit different than uh, the rest of the track uh, rest of the tracks on the album like it's not like really distant so much as it is um, it's creating um, a melodic effect with the music around it and I think that that's really really cool um, you know, just the whole minimalist approach to this song, and um, I particularly enjoyed uh, the lyrics as well. Uh, uh, a line that really stuck out to me is that um, it could be the death of me knowing that my friends will not remember me. And it was just like, that just really struck a chord for me for some reason, and it just really stuck with me. And uh, this is like my second favorite track on the album, absolutely. Just love this song to death. That, that exact line stuck with me as well, but for the opposite reason. Uh-oh. Because I find it the most cringeworthy thing on this track. Aww. <laughs> and the bugs, they know my name. is, <laughs> And it's repeated over and over. No, so that's... That's uh, not the line, lots. by the way. I, I don't lots. care. That's what I heard. Again, it's like when I can parse lyrics and they really do stand out, then that, you know, gives me pause. <laughs> the bugs remember my name. So the line was in the bluffs. They know the my bluffs. Name. Oh, whatever. Name. Okay. The bluffs being uh, the really, really, really shitty part of Atlanta. I uh, thought it was a family and Doug. Bluffingtons. The Bluffingtons. Yeah. The Bluffingtons. Yeah. No. Um. So, so if that if that clarifies the, the shitty part of Atlanta, right? Yeah. That that okay. one shitty part. I think the the yeah. <laughs> I think it's the. They are uh, an Atlanta band after all. It's the under the bridge. Uh, part part of town of it. Oh my! God. Uh, evoking that song makes me <laughs> makes it even worse. No, but <laughs> that's just um, like the, the most. That's definitely what this this is definitely I'm... like a drug song, and that's what it's about. Like okay. the basement scene. Like it starts out talking like I don't want to wake up, uh, and that I don't want to get old, and then later in the song it's saying like I want to wake up, I want to get old. Like it, it's uh. It's definitely like I think there is a lot to that kind of to to this song being about uh, 
drugs and like escaping darkness, which kind of came up again from like revival, mm-hmm. um, trying to talk about the same thing. So I think that that similar theme uh, kind of comes into there of someone like escaping into drugs or something like that. Uh, and then kind of like coming to and regretting it later. Absolutely. Uh, so yes. like, I don't... Oh, oh boy, oh. when we talk about the elephant in the room that is the 11th track, this song will make so much more sense. Yeah, yeah as, <laughs> as as someone who's gone through drug addiction, I think that that's really why this song said a lot to me, because there's just a lot uh, for me to relate to there. Um, and mm-hmm. it just it's just struck the right chord with me, and like I said, the music is just ah, perfect. So after hearing that take on it, like I don't want to, you know, belittle a song's lyrical content about a headier subject like that, and like say, you know, an album like Alice in Chains Dirt, which has a lot of tracks that struggles with oh, uh, yeah. drug addiction, you know, um, that sort of thing can resonate. But here, it this song, I you know, it did nothing for me um, on that. You know, I didn't even take it that it was about something like that. And again, I didn't have the lyric sheet in front of me but i just i don't know it just misses for me i'm sorry yeah um i really like it i really like kind of the driving sort of percussive guitar thing that sinks in with the vocals that it's got going on mm-hmm. and yeah oh the little the, i mean yeah production wise the track itself i mean it it kind of you know it's it's got the 60s uh heartthrob um pop thing um you know, they do the airiness thing, and uh, <clears throat> they even, you know, they even threw some feedback into the mix, which, um, as I said in my notes, like, it's got a Jesus and Mary Chain vibe, because, um, I mean, not really, but, <laughs> you know, I have to have something to talk about what not if referencing it to other bands. Um, but no, it's not a terrible song, I just, um, yeah, I, I didn't get that into it. It, it definitely has, like, a very... Uh, I think like Beach Fossils. Uh, if you've listened to them, they're, they're a band that I that, that the song reminded me a lot of. Uh, for for me, it was definitely the song in the album that like I wish uh, I had written. Uh, <laughs> I think the the just like the the product, like you said, like the 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 '60s kind of like pop tone. Uh, I, I I thought they nailed it. Uh, and even yeah, if the the lyrics were kind of a little spacey, uh, I, I think what this this was probably uh one of my one of my favorite of the like the pop the pop songs on this album uh i think for sure if i since we're all comparing songs to other bands i would say this kind of reminds me of the preeters if anyone is familiar okay, yeah, with them yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like that sort of early breeders kind of sound definitely can hear that no i i think that's yeah, that that's definitely that's definitely what they were going for uh, with the track, like completely. The Breeders is is a great reference for that. But I think we've said all that needs to be said said about Basement Scene. Some of us really like it, others of us don't, and they're wrong. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and it it definitely touches on themes that we'll address whether oh, we want yeah. to or not later. Yeah. Take my hand and pray with me My final days in company The devil now is company And hell it proper 
Okay, so, uh, to Helicopter, and there's a little bit of trivia I have reading the lyrics booklet. Um, this is the one song where the lyrics are reprinted in full, but first, under the title Helicopter, there's this entire article about some underage porn actor that's reprinted that takes up most of the page. It's not Tracy Lords, is it? Uh, who is it? I was just reading it, but I didn't commit any of it to memory. Dima, real name Dmitry Marakov. Hmm. I thought you were going to say Dmitry Martin. <laughs> <laughs> between, the, between the age of 15 and 18, Dima was a highly sought-after pornographic model and performer. He saved the money he made from modeling to pay for the tuition at a leading college of fashion that he hoped to attend when he reached 18. And, uh, I guess he was murdered or something. I don't want to read this whole thing. It's pretty long. Reprinted with permission from Dennis Cooper. And then the lyrics to Helicopter. (laughs) Oh, this is just like an overly sad, like the sadness in this song is so pervasive and so crushing and just so, oh God, please, this is life is pain, and I don't want to live anymore. Yeah, even even with all the bright instrumentation wrapped around it, and just like the way this song brilliantly coils and twists around itself, um, it's just like you know, even if you're marveling at all of that, and just this great, you know, piece of music, it's just like, oh God, it's so soul crushingly sad. <laughs> It uh yeah definitely the most like shoo shoo out of the tracks in the album I thought um <laughs> the the so so the story I was like looking into that because I when I was looking into this uh on on genius dot com um they mentioned that and I I started reading in and I, I like read the article they mentioned and some of the back stuff um. Cause yeah, it's it's obvious this this whole the song is about that, and maybe maybe to a uh, to a larger extent, like the entire album could be seen as an extension of this. This is definitely, I think, supposed to be this. Uh, Helicopter was was one of the singles for the album. Yes, no. Uh, actually, no. Though no. I think it's oh, sort okay. of it's sort of adopted its own life as probably the most popular track off of this record. <laughs> Okay, so but it wasn't an officially like released single. Uh, it, it was not released on its own with a B side. Gotcha. Okay. okay, interesting. But um, but I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm getting back to is I was doing research, uh, and it's actually, uh, as far as I can tell, not a real thing, or like Dennis Cooper is an author uh, and playwright is the person that they're reprint from permission from. And I was like Googling around and I literally couldn't find anything else about this other than people referencing the liner notes to this album. Um, so, so uh, I don't know what point I'm trying to prove about that. Um, but I thought that was interesting that it was like something so detailed about so horrible, but also I think not real. So you're the Dmitry Marnikov truther in the room <laughs> i i guess i it's just like i i couldn't find anything else about it that wasn't a reference back to uh this to dmitry marikov or dima um please uh people out there correct me if i'm wrong uh and send it 
all of your questions uh, and corrections to Polly at SocksMakePeopleSexy.net. Um, yeah, Rhett, Rhett, John, Raquel, and I'm sure the two other people who are listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are our super sleuths who must crack this case wide open. Uh, Fact check our asses, please. No, but 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 I but I thought that was interesting. At first, I got really into this song, and I was thinking about it in terms of this, like this story, because uh, uh, as Taylor mentioned, it's this this porn star who's like, I guess the point is like abducted, and then like sex trafficking, and then is like murdered, um, and, and so it's this this very gory graphic thing. Um, but now now I'm even trying to think of it, I guess, in the context of like this this person who writes these songs largely like improvisationally. Um, and, and I'm trying to think of how, like, what r- relation either the lyrics or the short story written by Dennis Cooper um, had to each other um, when when they were then they were starting this. So hey, how about that song, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've let the fiction of the song take over the song itself. <laughs> yeah, but it uh, uh, the the song itself. Uh, I thought it was I don't know I I thought it was pretty good. Probably the poppiest track. Uh, on the album, at least I, I thought so. Do you think Boner? I think um, it, it you know it's got that um it's got that synth beat um again, harkening back to the um that of the opener track on the album, but you know a little more a little more upbeat um it's got this fake harp sound going mm-hmm. on I guess with the keyboards like chords that's kind of pulling off yeah. so um I want to say there's um a sample in here that sounds like somebody striking a wind chime, but like striking it on a surface to like try to play a specific melody and not just like, you know, stroke the whole wind chime or the, I guess, I guess it's not a wind chime, whatever you call it, the percussionist instrument that's like a row of chimes that you just, right? Not a marimba. No, just, just regular chimes that you twiddle the whole thing with a little metal rod. Glockenspiel. Um, n- no, definitely not a Glockenspiel. <laughs> Fuck. I'm just throwing out all of the mallet percussion. Glockenspiel is that little thing that it's like it spins, and it it hits the bells, and it's like on a motor, right? Bass clarinet, contrabassoon, tuba. Okay. Um, but I do I do think there was there was a nice. Uh, use of the digital like harp harpsichord it was used very sparingly um before like leading into the like the guitar um kind of during like the bridge bridge part of the song but i i thought it, i thought that was it was a really nice touch uh on the track okay so that brings us well it actually doesn't bring us because i haven't talked about helicopter yet <laughs> there we go <laughs> um i'm not sure if this is my f- favorite song off of this record but it's definitely competing for the top spot um there's just something delightfully depressing about this song and all of the different elements that work together that really make it sort of a standout for me mm-hmm. it's 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 just kind of got a bit of everything if you're into that kind of melancholic kind of uh vibe um and the, like i said like the way that the instrumentation has this bright kind of airiness to it but at the same time it's really just heavy and 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 you can't really describe why it's just uh just a really unique little song it's definitely one of my favorites 
So what uh, Byron described as sort of a harp sound, what that actually is, is an electric guitar that's being pitched up with a really cheap uh, pitch shifter pedal. So huh. it has all of like the low end sucked out of the guitar yep. sound. Interesting they, that it's all uh, it's all guitar. It's all yeah, because I I really thought it was a keyboard trying to do like a harp chord, not yeah. a harpsichord, as we'll get to Interesting. later. Interesting. Now this is a no. That's I mean I wasn't there, but I can say from experience that that's pretty much what a guitar through a really cheap pitch shifter sounds right. like. <laughs> cool. Which is, you know, another testament to sort of the fragility and lo-fi-ness of a lot of the guitar work on this record. So yeah, really like it. We have Fountain Stairs, track number nine, which is the other track written by Lockett Punt and not by Bradford Cox. Mm. What did you guys think of this one? I have absolutely nothing to say about it. Like, I, I can't even remember how it goes. Here's what I think about it. <laughs> I think that this is a well that this album has gone back to maybe a little too much. Um, and, like... Even though, like, they go back to the well for this kind of sound on the album, the other tracks that do it are just much better written. Do it, yeah. And they're yeah. put together a hell of a lot better and just way more memorable. This song just did nothing for me in, that, in the scope it, of the album or as a standalone track itself. It's like you got your songs that you put in a Toyota commercial. And if if it's really memorable, and you're like, hey, you know, that was in that Toyota commercial. Oh, that you know, that makes me think about Toyota more so than Nissan. And then you got this, and it's like, what was this in a Kia commercial? Who gives a shit? This makes me think about. Huh, I went to sleep last night. That was pretty cool. <laughs> so I, what what I'm gleaming from this is that you guys should not listen to Lotus Plaza. No, no. No real I, interest. I wouldn't recommend it, honestly. <laughs> I think uh, I, I think you hit on something there. With um, there are a lot of tracks that do what this track does better. Um, there's kind of the beach tunes that "Don't Cry" does better, like the drugged out vibes um, I get from "Basement Scene" and kind of like uh, like "Memory Boy." I think did the like that that pains of being pure heart like that like. Um, that sounds better. And, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was good, but it's kind of just like this, this is definitely the track on the album that, that I could just like throw away, um, and could do without. 
Yeah, because um, even the beach songs, it's like, you know, I like a good um, 60s dumb pop song that's not really saying anything. I mean, I listen to oldies radio in my car, but I just, I don't know. It's like, <clears throat> again, you know, I hear a lot of the legends in this album. I hear a lot of the shins in this album, and I hear a little Radiohead, and this one just was so middling, I just didn't have any impression of it, really. Yeah. Agreed. My, my thoughts on this album are basically just shrug at uh, this song, rather not this album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck this album that I was about to say, just made everybody listen to this album. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, this this song is just kind of eh. I kind of like the distorted guitar lead that crops up eventually. Mm. It's kind of a sonic difference from the way this album kind of has itself set. But yeah, this definitely just feels like sort of a outtake version of Don't Cry and Revival to me. Yeah. <laughs> and Fair enough. I don't know. I think I think even Sailing was at least more distinct in style. Than yeah, this it, song it, is. It, it's at least got it's at least doing a thing that is its very own thing, whereas this is trying to do a thing that other albums or that other tracks on this album that have done way miles better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't to clarify, to clarify, I really like this album, but I think just by virtue of the kind of band that deer hunter is, this album can be a bit spotty. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be hit or miss, but hey, yeah, even ACDC didn't knock everything out of the park. Okay. While acknowledging that every ACDC album is basically the same, I have this question. What I'm, I'm song... Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what ACDC song after 1980 do you remember? Isn't that, that Thunder um, Thunder something? Thunderfuck? You, you shook me all night long. That was after 1980, She's right? She's got legs! She, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's ACDC, right? Yeah. The, an the answers are... For those about to rock and Thunderstruck, yeah, those are the only two songs. Those are the only two songs after the Back in Black album that matter. Nice. Wait, that was Metallica though. Back in Black album? No, that's Jay Z. Back... Okay. No, that that was Spinal Tap, guys. We're, Come on. We're smart. You don't, you don't remember Smell the Glove? Smell the Glove. <laughs> Oh, damn. I, I prefer shark sandwich I, I think after that they <laughs> kind of went uh, downhill. Shark sandwich, shit sandwich, more like it. <laughs>
think this is starting to collapse in on itself, so I'm going to move on to track number 10. Coronado. Hey, they, they made a song about that guy from Sunset Riders. Coronado. That's, that's Cormano. I thought Why they made a song. Why are you a, a cowboy? That's how it goes, right? I thought they made a song right. about a cheap shape of Fender guitar they made in the early 2000s. Mm, good call out. The one thing and the only thing I like about this track is saxophone all yeah. over this motherfucker. <laughs> and I, I love wanted, it. I wanted 100 1000% more saxophone. Uh it was so it was so good. Uh it was uh it was really great. I also uh I also thought this was another song that could have uh benefited from having a female uh vocalist over uh a male vocalist. But but I thought this song this this is probably the song uh, that I kept like randomly spinning, uh, like over the past couple weeks when I when I wanted to come back to to the album. There's something almost uh, Springsteen esque in the use of the mm. saxophone, and I say that because it makes like a good counterpoint to the the dream pop sound. It's like really like smoky Springsteen, Jersey bluesy bar type music yeah. doesn't really go with this. Um, 80s, you know, stare at the ceiling, kind of uh, mopey. Everything is bullshit, <laughs> kind of, kind of aesthetic that um, <clears throat> a lot of the album evokes. Uh, and and actually, um, it kind of layers the saxes on each other, and you know, yeah. some of them they kind of like don't really. I guess they're like, I'm sure a lot of it's improv, but they don't sound like they're playing exactly with a melody in mind or in key. Yeah, it sounds kind really of a jam improv. Band thing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought uh, I I thought it was interesting because it was kind of like uh, the lyrical content is very much like a song about having like given up, um, but it's kind of one of the, like the happier songs in the album. Uh, I thought in in a way like there, there's not a whole lot of happiness to go around uh in general on the album but no. but i definitely thought it was one of the brighter notes what are you talking about this is a happy album it's got all these pop songs <laughs> feel about good murdered dying porn stars and, yeah. porn stars yeah i feel like this album is not this i keep saying this album <laughs> I should I should clearly have a script so that I keep um, on the same track of thought. I feel like this song sort of represents a calm before the storm moment. Yeah. yeah. Where it just sort of goes major key and sort of driving and hard rock and oh hey, saxophones. That's pretty cool. Only borders I get
that I think that this song is actually pretty good in and of itself. But I feel like it's even better when you consider it as a counterpoint <laughs> to track number 11, He Would Have Laughed. Ooh, what a gorgeous, gorgeous little uh, album ender. Uh, this is my favorite track. Uh, on the album, just hands down, like, and, like, I'm sure Taylor will be sort of filling us in about what this song is about, but it is just a very beautiful tribute uh, song um, that uh, has these two very distinct parts. Like, there's, you know, it starts out one way, and then it has a bit of a segue and ends in another. Um, and just overall, this is, like, my favorite track, and it's just, like, perfect way to end, like, this album i think that this album I, or i think that this track jesus christ you got me doing it now um <laughs> i think that this track sums up the album in a way that i don't think that earthquake uh did at uh setting the tone and that's obviously just from my ears and the way that i listen to albums and the way that i think albums should be sequenced and whatever uh but i think that this does a better job at saying like and here's you know what we were getting to you know, all along, and I don't think that Earthquake, out of the gate, was like, "Here's what you're in for." Uh, but I think I think they're so they're so tied together with each other. This is like so much the mirror of Earthquake. Like e even down, I feel like the like the reverb guitar. Um, I I feel I I I think kind of if if in what I was saying earlier that Earthquake like was an introduction, kind of to showing you how. Uh, different uh, maybe parts of the music in this could be, then I think uh, this track is kind of the concluding statement all the way at the end of the album uh, that's kind of like reviewing all of the different things that went together. I think kind of in the way that Fountain Stairs fails to pull together some of the different parts of different songs, I think this track succeeds at pulling together uh, different parts uh, of the album. Um, into a, like a summary. I'm so. going to agree a bit with Byron here. Um, I, I consider yes. Earthquake and this track to be bookends to the album, and with a couple of exceptions more interesting than most of the tracks because it's a completely different sound. However, while most of the album gets mired in that, you know, shoegaze murkiness and like the really muddy production this one starts out a little bit more straightforward it starts out with this synthy harpsichord sound um yeah you know, i want to say it sounds like the village music to a, a playstation era rpg <laughs> i can hear that yeah but <clears throat> but it starts out like really straightforward and then they they layer stuff up with the distortion and everything but they they build it up and tear it down yeah so I mean, again, a little bit stronger than Earthquake, but you know, it's it it's a good cap off to most of the most of a, an album that was kind of up and down, back and forth by you know between kind of two disparate sounds they were going for, but they it's like you know the the start and the end of the journey are more interesting than the the journey itself, I guess. So I will say first about this track that um, if Basement Scene or Helicopter isn't my favorite track, then this is definitely my favorite track. Mm. 
I think it sort of takes all of the different things that went into the melting pot of this album and sort of throws them together in a way that is the closest thing this album comes to being bombastic and sort of loud and over the top in terms of its style and tonality. Uh, But This this song was composed by uh, lead singer himself, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That's what I thought. So this is, uh, as most of this album, this was uh, the work of lead singer Bradford Cox. Um, But I guess let's first talk about what Bradford Cox broadly says the theme of this album is and why it's called Halcyon Digest. I guess the in summary he says that it's the theme of it is sort of how people are nostalgic for things that weren't very good. Yeah. That, isn't okay. that the yeah. very definition of nostalgia? <laughs> I think or, that as people who, who who play a lot of video games, we can probably relate to that a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's more like how people romanticize what happened in the past. Yeah, you, even you, if okay. it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like and the fifties. That's, that's kind of a direct. That's kind of a direct quote, even. Yeah. Which is, I guess, why it has an a title like it does, and why there's a lot of like major key tonalities and some happy sounding moments that are sort of dressing up the really depressing and dark nature of a lot of these songs so do you think he means halcyon digest as in like reader's digest that he takes all the high points of something and compresses it into a very short uh glimpse of it or do you think it means digest like chew on it and suck it into your stomach and then turn it into poop (laughs) maybe both it, he's an artsy fartsy type, so you kind of go like I think that it's a little open to interpretation, even though he's spoken, you know, about you know his use of the word halcyon, um, you know, ab- about that, and it's just like yeah, I guess you know it all kind of ties together, and you could sort of apply your own interpretation to it, even though he's sort of supplied one. So I don't think Boner's really far off. Um, in his interpretation, uh, especially when you consider, you know, you go back and read some of the lyrics. I think that what Boner said makes a lot of sense in both uh, senses in which he sort of uh, went over it so eloquently. Yeah. You just responded to the poop. I, uh, yeah. You got me at poop. <laughs> so uh, the, that's the theme of the album broadly. So now... Let's talk about the depressing elephant in the room. Yeah. This record was recorded in June 2010. Mm-hmm. About five months before that, a guy by the name of Jimmy Lee Lindsay Jr., who the music world probably knows better as Jay Retard, uh, died of a combination cocaine and alcohol overdose. Yeah. And he would have laughed in particular is written as a tribute to the memory of Jimmy Lee Lindsay Jr. Yeah. Which I think, you know, mm-hmm. probably all speculation. I haven't read too many interviews on the subject of this album, but I feel like if you see this album in context of the band having lost a friend earlier in the year, all of a sudden 
everything they do on it makes a lot more sense than it does at first listen. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when you talk about things like basement scene, which are very pointedly about, you know, drug addiction and things like that. Yeah. Is it kind of like um, the Mars Volta, Delilah in the Comatorium, which uh, the whole album was basically about this one guy who um, was so high on drugs, he jumped off an overpass in, into traffic, and that album kind of reflects that dude's story and the band's um, you know, interaction with him and their lives. Yeah. So I guess you could almost see this as, like in terms of the whole romanticizing the past, you could see it as them in some ways remembering all of the good times they had with Jimmy Lee Lindsay Jr., but now having to sort of recontextualize it as all of the good times they spent with a guy who was killing himself slowly with drug addiction. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting and weird pill to swallow when you go kind of digging up things like that on albums, uh, you know, when you don't initially know what they're about. Like, my first time listening to this, I didn't go in and I didn't want to Wikipedia anything about it. I didn't want to read any background because, you know, I want to go inside and see and I don't want anything coloring how I feel about it. And those were those were notes that I picked up from just listening to the album without having known its history, you know, like, you know that this is a somber album that, um, it's about struggling to understand or celebrating something and you can't quite put a finger on it. And when you start filling in like the context, it's like, okay, it, it, it makes sense. So I think that if anything, this is an album that does a really, really good job, uh, of taking its theme and presenting it so that it's, um, it has an appeal to it, even if you aren't intimately tied to the music scene or want to know what the deeper meaning of each track might be. I'm the guy who doesn't do research going into these things. Um, you know, these whole two episodes that we've done. So, um, <laughs> I, I kind of, I kind of fit that description about it's like, um, yeah, not, not knowing beforehand. Um, and now that this comes out, all this information that I'm, you know, hearing about the history of this album and kind of the meaning behind each of the tracks on it. Um, I can kind of see the <clears throat> emotion they were going for on most of them, even though that's not something that I've lived through really, or have much of a, um, like a, a personal verisimilitude with and throw out your, you know, thousand dollar college words there. Damn. <laughs> I think that's more like $15,000 college word there. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Don't say we didn't done learn you nothing. Yeah, yeah. Byron, what do you think? I mean, I, 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 th I thought the whole the whole thing was just great. Um, the uh, as I as I mentioned, I had kind of known about Deer Hunter on the sides, but uh, had never had never listened really in depth to them. Uh, and and I thought this album was just a great introduction uh to them I've, I've listened to some of their al other albums um but not not too much because i didn't want to get uh my wires crossed about this um but but really uh i i loved it um i guess the only thing i thought was it, it really kind of felt like two different albums mixed together um as i mentioned there were like those dull those like slower minimalist tracks and then those like poppy beach ones um and they had a good contrast with each other 
Um, and, and even went together with, you know, kind of the lyrical themes and stuff like that. But, uh, but, but it, it still, uh, it still felt like two really great EPs from, uh, from the same band, uh, in the same album. I can I'm, see that. I'm, a like, uh, I will definitely be spinning this album more, you know, like I'm happy to have, uh, taken part in this experience and learn more about Deer Hunter. I bought Fading Frontier and, uh, I think that if you like what you're hearing from the clips that, uh, have been playing, um, then, you know, you definitely do good to jump on Spotify and do uh, a little more research. Uh, I definitely lean more toward the, uh, uh, the lighter structured things or just like the weirder kind of radio heady, trippy, spacey, airy stuff than I do the beach kind of rock or, you know, like noise pop or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, but I don't think that any, any one thing that, this band is capable of doing is bad so uh you know it's definitely an artist i'm going to continue to keep ears on and keep uh investigating their discography even more uh so you know always good to have cool new stuff to listen to mm, boner <laughs> oh I, <laughs> I thought i already said my he piece already did. um uh, it wasn't <laughs> i i probably won't revisit them as much or seek out uh much more it didn't quite hit that many notes for me i think the beach poppy stuff like while i enjoyed it i wasn't expecting it and i didn't want more of it after it's like no go back to that weird like you know dreamy stuff but kind of tone it down a bit just you know you're a little too murky and shoegazy and weird so i don't know it 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 never really hit either note for me i guess Mm. But um, not a horrible experience. And like I said, I'll probably go back and listen to it with headphones. Maybe I'll pick something out there that I missed the first like five or six times that I spun through it. I think that this is a, a messy, chaotic, inconsistently toned and sort of weird, challenging artsy fartsy manic depressive kind of album and i love it <laughs> it's uh it's it's like uh like listening to john thyer talk about video games it's just like you know it's this really messy thing that it's not entirely focused and it's it, challenging to enjoy <laughs> it's challenging to enjoy and i put myself it, through a lot of misery but it's great well uh and it I takes mean, away your safety nets. Yeah. Pitchfork, uh, Pitchfork gave it, I think, like a nine, nine point something. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I, I think what that are really, they IGN? Um, but but I think that really that really speaks to, uh, you know, the album and, and to what Pitchfork is kind of um, that th- this was, this is very representative of that disjointed like harder to approach uh indie rock i think uh and it is a good example of that and while we say that i should point out that uh metacritic says that this album got like an 86 out of 100 so clearly it's not just the pitchfork crowd that yeah enjoys it's, it's this album it's pretty universally praised um and i think for good reason because you know like i said even though i i prefer the much more ambient and avant-garde offerings i still think highly of it as a record and i connected to it in more ways than i expected to um so yeah it's 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 uh 
pretty good record. Uh, Taylor, anything else you want to add to the end, or are we going to start wrapping this bad baby up? Uh, I guess we can probably start wrapping it up. Okay, Because but... I think we've exhausted. <laughs> but before we do that, you have one very important task that you need to do for us. <laughs> and what is that? Uh, you need to pick the next target. Who is selecting an album for the rest of us to listen to? Oh, boy. Um, uh, boner, heads, or tails? Tails. All right, Knuckles. <laughs> and Knuckles. Okay, so heads means Byron is going to be picking the next album we have to listen to. All right, going with Byron then? Nice. All right. So, uh, winner. tune in next time, uh, to find out what, uh, Byron has, you know, wanted us to listen to. And as always, um, if you want to shoot us some feedback, you can drop by our forums, uh, over at, uh, socksmakepeoplesexy.net. Uh, you can shoot me direct feedback, Polly at socksmakepeoplesexy.net, or you can, uh, fire us up on the old Twitter box, um, at SMPS underscore updates. Um, and with all that out of the way, hey, you know, like, like go listen to more good music. Go listen to more Death Grips. What did you want?